Welcome to the Faith for My Generation podcast, where our vision is to shake and shape a generation with the power of God's Word. We're on one mission, to raise up a generation of powerful believers through the relevant teaching of God's Word. I'm so thankful that you're here today. I'm your host, AJ. Let's get into the episode. Good morning. This is your wake-up call. It's wake-up call 053, seven things we must master in the year 2023. I am your host, AJ. A very happy new year to you. I'm thankful that you're listening to the Faith for My Generation podcast. If you're a returning listener, I appreciate the uh, the loyalty and the friendship and the companionship of having you listen and be a part and watch, whether it's on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, or listening to the podcast channel. If you're a new, t- a first-time listener, a new listener, hey, I'm so thankful that you've joined us. Continue to join us. We are what we call the faithful. Who is the faithful? It's men and women. It's young men, young women who love God with all that they are. And we have one desire, to have the Word of God so freshly and so alive in our hearts and our minds that we will live completely and totally sold out for the Lord. That's our desire, to shake and shape a generation with the power of God's Word. That's our mission, and that's what we're going to do. And we're going to do it yet again in the year 2023. This is the second year of the podcast, and so this is a, it's a lot of fun. I'm, I've, I have a great time doing this, and I pray that you're richly blessed even as I am. All right, let's get into it. As I said, this is part three of a three-part wake-up call series, Seven Things We Must Master in the Year 2023. Uh, If you've not caught the first two parts, you don't have to listen to them in order, but do go listen to the other two parts. If you've not listened to them yet, I'm telling you, you don't want to miss these. These are really, really good. The first part, we looked at time and money, two things that everyone wishes they had more of. And you know what? Honestly, if we'll obey God's Word, we will have more of those things, and they will be more powerful in our lives. There, we can see time and money is just—it's just tools. It's like a hammer. It's like a saw. It's like a wrench. Uh, it's, they're just tools, and we need to use them well and use them wisely. The second episode, or the second part two of this series, we looked at our bodies, how we need to master our physical body, take control of it, make it a servant an instrument of righteousness, as Romans chapter 6 talks about, and then sin. We went to Genesis chapter 4, and we read how the Lord God Almighty told Cain, point blank, that you must master sin. And so even now today in the year 2023, we must master sin as well. So here we are, part three. I've got three of the last of this list of seven things that we must master in the year 2023. I want to go to Galatians chapter 6, and we're going to read our New Testament text, and then we're going to go to Joshua chapter 1, and then we'll get into these three points. All right, let's do this. Galatians chapter 6, hallmark verse of my father's life. I've heard this verse maybe a thousand times. Galatians chapter 6, verse 7, do not be deceived. God is is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that will he also reap. Verse 8, For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption, but he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. Verse 9, And let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. The principle is plain. It's very simple. It is the truth of God. Behind this spiritual principle lies the power of God. So when you act on it and act on the Word of God, like any promise of God, you will see the power of God come to pass in your life. And concerning Galatians 6, verse 7, 8, and 9, we see that God will not be mocked. He will not be mocked. Don't be deceived, meaning that this is an opportunity or a place that you could be deceived, that God's not going to be mocked. The seeds you sow are going to produce a harvest. If you sow to the spirit of the flesh, you'll reap death. If you sow to the spirit of God, you'll reap life everlasting. And if you do not faint in doing good, you'll reap a harvest in due time. Joshua 1 verse 8, Old Testament foundational text for this series. This mini three-part mini-series, Joshua 1, verse 8. 
This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. I think it's so interesting and it cannot be overlooked, but let's look at it one more time. The Spirit of the Lord speaking to Joshua, this book of the law, and of course for Joshua that was the Pentateuch, the first five books that Moses wrote, gives to them, gives to them verbally, but then also writes them down before he breathes his last breath and goes to heaven. Verse 8, the book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. So notice, your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night. So we got the thought life there. So that you may observe to do it, to do according to all that is written in it. So there's action. You got to take action on what you hear. For then you shall make your way prosperous and you will have good success. What is that? One Two, three, four, five, six. That's six different commands to you, uh, to me, <laughs> to us. But six times the word you or your is used in verse eight. Implying this, God has a will for you. He has his will for your life. But it's up to you to be obedient. Some people get hung up on this and, and, and they overinflate grace and the will of God and the sovereignty of God. They take it out of its scriptural context. Now, is God sovereign, all-powerful? Absolutely. And in His power and in His sovereignty, He has said, I will give dominion to man concerning the earth. This is why Jesus had to come in the flesh live a sinless life, yet take on the sin of the world and die the death he died at the cross, the substitutionary death, to be the propitiation for us, for our sins, to take back, as the book of Revelation tells us, the keys to death and hell, to take back that authority. Matthew 28, all authority is given unto me. He had to take it back because it was given to Adam and Adam gave it to Satan through sin. Because Romans chapter 6 tells us, whoever you serve is your master, sin or righteousness. And so, yes, God is all-powerful. He is sovereign. But in His sovereignty, in His power, He has given you a choice. He has given me a choice. And He says, here's my instruction. Here is my word. As you act on it, as you put your faith in it, I will empower you by my spirit. But it's still your choice. I'm not going to make this happen in your life. God has given us a free choice. Uh, theologically, doctrinally, it's called a free moral agent. We have been given the right to choose. And this is why it's so necessary for us as Christians to tell people and to witness to people the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because Romans chapter 10 tells us, how will people believe unless they hear? How will they hear unless someone preaches? How will someone preach unless someone is sent? How beautiful are the feet of those who go forth preaching the gospel. A paraphrase of Romans chapter 10, verses 14 through 17. And it ends with, who, who has believed the report of the Lord? Right? In order for you to believe the report of the Lord, you got to hear it. Because it's left up to you to hear. And that's what's so vital about understanding that. That's just how the economy of God works. Uh, we have a choice. It's just like when we, part two, when we talked about mastering sin, God told Cain, you got a choice, Cain. You have an opportunity. Don't you understand? If you'll do what Abel did, which is obey me, you'll be accepted as well. Because sin is crouching at the door, waiting for an opportunity to pounce and jump on you. So you have a choice. Master this. T take dominion over this. Now, in this third part, we're going to look at the last three things we must master in 2023. Now, understand when I say master, I, you might be thinking what I think as well. How can I master this? This will take my whole life to do it. And even then, I will still be progressing and yet to arrive. Bingo, you've got it. Everything that we're talking about in this three-part series are all things that we will continue to grow in to do better with and be better stewards, for instance, of time and money in our bodies. We have to be better stewards. 
Those are those, I guess you might say, three natural or material type things. But the last four, the first one being sin, and the three that we'll look at today, they're still, yet again, they're things that we're going to continue to master. So when I say we must master them, I'm not saying that you know one day it's just going to click and you arrive. What I'm saying is you have to take authority over and you have to take Walk in the God-given authority that we have as believers and say, no, I'm not ruled by my body or my soul. Your soul is where your emotions, your imagination, your will lives. No, I bring those things and submit them under the Lordship of Christ. In my spirit, who you really are, your spirit, under the Lordship of Christ Jesus, I'm going to dominate, to master these areas of my life. And it's not that you arrive or eventually, you know, you've hit it and that's it. I don't have to study the Bible anymore. No, it's I'm taking control of, very much like a master and a slave, a master and a servant. I'm taking control over this and making this thing bring about and profit and produce in my life. Now, the fifth thing that you and I, the faithful, we must master is our thought lives, our thought life. I wrote this, we are to use our minds to task it for the glory of God, our success, Joshua 1.8. Our redeemed, renewed mind can be tasked to problem solve, create, and innovate. I think this is such a powerful revelation of how God has created our thought life. And when you get a hold of this, it changes the way you think about your mind, your thought life. Let me read this one more time, this last statement. Our redeemed, renewed minds can be tasked to problem solve, create, and innovate. I think there's nothing greater than someone who has submitted their thoughts and their mind to the Lordship of Christ Jesus. You know, there are there's so many times where oftentimes I've done it, you've probably done it. There's times where Christians sometimes pray about things, and they don't need to pray about it. They just need to stop and think. They need to stop and think. Uh, some Christians, they'll be praying, and really what they need to do is just sit and think and allow the wisdom of God and the mind of Christ, Philippians chapter 2, tells us that we have the mind of Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 tells us that we have the wisdom of God and the mind of Christ. And so the Holy Spirit indwelling in us is a, is a knower. He is the knower of all things. And so sometimes we don't need to pray about a situation. We just need to stop and think and allow the wisdom of God from His Word and by the Spirit to bring to us the solution. Because your mind, empowered by the Holy Spirit, is an incubator of God's wisdom. It's a place where the wisdom of God is is growing. Now, I can immediately, this isn't in the notes, but I I hear some of you, some some of the faithful saying, well, now, wait a minute, AJ. The Bible says our thoughts are not God's thoughts. And you're referring to Isaiah 55, verse 8. Some might say this, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. Verse 9, For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than yours, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Now, that would be completely and totally correct if you were dead in sin and you had not submitted your mind to be renewed to the Word of God. Now, how can I back up that statement? Well, as oftentimes, many things from Scripture can be simply understood if we just back up a verse or two or read another verse or two. Isaiah 55 verse 8 tells us that very, very well known, my thoughts are not your thoughts, my ways are not your ways, says the Lord. We'll back up a few verses. Verse 6, Isaiah 55 verse 6, seek the Lord while he may be found, call upon him while he is near. Verse 7, let the wicked forsake his way, and the unrighteous man his thoughts, and let him 
the wicked, the unrighteous man, return to the Lord, and he, God, will have mercy on him, the wicked, the unrighteous, and to our God, he will abundantly pardon. pardon. Verse 8, for my thoughts are not your thoughts. The thoughts of the Lord are not the thoughts of the wicked. The thoughts of the Lord are not the thoughts of the unrighteous, nor are your ways, wicked, unrighteous man, my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, the ways of the wicked and the unrighteous. My thoughts, then your thoughts, the thoughts of the wicked or the unrighteous. You're not the wicked. You're not the unrighteous. If you are, you need to be saved. And I would pray that if you stumbled upon this podcast or you're watching this video on YouTube or Facebook, Instagram, I pray that you would confess Jesus as Lord, believing in your heart He's the risen Son of God. Call upon the name of the Lord and you shall be saved. Surrender to Him, repent of your sins, and give Him all that you are. And submit and yield and obey to His Lordship. And in doing so, having faith in Christ, you shall be saved and made a brand new creation. And from that point, you then begin to renew your mind. Romans chapter 12, verse 2 tells us that we must renew our minds. We have to renew our mind. And how do we renew our mind? Through the washing of the water of the Word, Ephesians chapter 5 tells us. So again, Isaiah 55 is speaking to the unrighteous, wicked man. You and I have instructions as righteous saints. You know, you look all through the New Testament, the believer is never called a sinner saved by grace, but rather a saint. Because we've been set free. We, it doesn't mean that we don't have the, the ability to sin again. We can, but we have been made a brand new creation. We've been made a new creature. We've been brought into the family of God. We've been made a son of God, a daughter of God. And so now we have taken on... Now think about that. If we've been made a child of God... You know, we did a wake-up call. Uh, I can't remember the episode number. <laughs> My fault. But it's been a few back. But it's called Imitation. And we talked about how as Christians we are to imitate our Father. Ephesians 5, chapter, Ephesians chapter 5 verse 1. Well, shouldn't we imitate in the way we think? Because this is something we must master. We must master our thought life. 2 Corinthians chapter 10... Verse 3, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, they're not fleshly, but they are mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. See, that puts the responsibility on me, on you. Your thought life is your responsibility. The thoughts that I think are my responsibility. It's not someone else's responsibility. You're not, hear me out, you're not going to pray away your bad thoughts. You're not going to pray away unrenewed, unregenerated thoughts. You have to cleanse the second time I mention it. So let's read it. You have to cleanse your mind with the washing of the water of the word. Ephesians 5 verse 26, that he might sanctify and cleanse her, the church, with the washing of water by the word. Verse 27, that he might present her to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she should be holy and without blemish. I used this example on a stream not too long ago. And I think it's a pretty good one. Imagine you're in the kitchen, you're cooking, and you're cooking, frying something in a pan with oil or whatever, and it kind of blackens up and it gets um, greasy. I, I have an appetite right now for Brussels sprouts. First, you steam them, get them good and soft. Then you toss those bad boys into a hot pan with olive oil, salt, pepper, and strips of bacon, and you just toss those things until the outside layer of those Brussels sprouts begin to crisp over and the bacon gets good and crispy. Then you set it to the side and you drizzle some maple syrup or some fresh honey over it. Let me tell you something. That's good eating. But whenever I do that, there's always like the burnt black residue in the pan from, from the part of the Brussels sprouts and the bacon that kind of like 
the fats that broke down and, and stuck to the pan. You know what I'm talking about. So what do you do? You got to wash that pan. So you take a good sponge, because even if you throw that thing in the, in the dishwasher, which thank the Lord we've got a dishwasher in this house. The first two we didn't, or the first one we didn't. Uh, the second one is when I realized we needed to always have a dishwasher. So when we moved in this house, praise the Lord, we had one. Uh, it came with a dishwasher. That's why I bought the house. I didn't want the house. I just wanted the dishwasher. No, nah, I'm kidding. So, so you got to wash that pan because you put it in a dishwasher. It's still gonna, there's still going to be stuff stuck on there, right? So you take that pan. You put some good old Dawn dish soap. We're not sponsored by Dawn, but Dawn, if you want to sponsor us, I'll take some power wash. Ship it to my house. I'd appreciate it. You put some power wash in that pan. You begin to scrub, and you get the pan clean. But have you ever done this? I'm sure you have. And then you look at the sponge. Now the sponge is dirty, isn't it? The pan is clean, but the sponge is dirty. Isn't it amazing? Just a little trailing thought here. Isn't it amazing how dirty you can get cleaning stuff? It's like clean a house, clean a car. You, you get dirty. <laughs> but the thing that you're cleaning is clean. It's just it's an oxymoron, it seems like. A, a conundrum. A conundrum. That's a good four-syllable word, isn't it? Conundrum. No, three syllables. Sorry. The sponge is dirty. The pan's clean. So what do you do? You rinse out the sponge. Get good hot water going through that sponge. Squeeze it out. Squeeze it, rinse it, squeeze it, rinse it, and eventually the sponge is clean. You know, your mind's like a sponge. This life, the lies, deceits, old, the old, dead center you life may have some thoughts stored up that are wicked, that are unrighteous. Temptations, wrong thinking, just wrong instruction. You know, maybe, maybe things about the Lord that aren't scriptural, but you've always heard people say them. So to you, you never fact-checked them with the Bible. You just accepted them as truth. And so then you come across a passage in Scripture, and you're like, oh, God's not mad at me. He's not out to get me, which, by the way, if God was out to get you, you would have already been gotten. But some people think that, well, the Lord's just trying to get me. He's just out to get me. Lord, I don't know what He's trying to teach me, but He's trying to teach me something hard. Look, He's given you His Word to teach you. So let's renew our mind because maybe there's some thoughts, and I know there are, that we need to get out of our mind. And just like that sponge you put on there, the hot water and squeeze it out and rinse out all the gunk, Ephesians 5, verse 20, 20, Ephesians 5, verse 25, our minds washed with the water of the Word. Washed with the water of the Word. Because 2 Corinthians chapter 10 tells us it's our responsibility to take captive every single thought that comes across our mind. If a thought comes into our mind, whether by way of temptation or something we expose ourselves to by hearing or seeing, or maybe it's an old thought lingering from your past life, now that you've been made new and live by the faith, by the life of Christ, by faith, once you see a thought or think a thought and you think, wait a minute, does that line up with the Word of God? No, it does not. Okay, we execute that thought and we replace it, Philippians chapter 4, with a good thought. We replace it with a brand new thought. Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. This is how you have the peace of God. You know, if you master your thought life, you'll live in peace. Philippians chapter 4, verse 8 says this, Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of a good report, if there's any virtue, if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate. Think on these things. Just like Joshua chapter 1, the Lord says to Joshua, meditate on this book of the law. So there's a good starting place. What should I think about? Think about the truths of God's word. But if it's pure, holy, just, lovely, I'm a father, I think about my daughter, that's good. That's a good way to replace it with negative thoughts. I'm married, I think about my wife, that's a good way to replace negative thoughts. Verse 9, the things which you learned, received, and heard, and saw in me, these do, and the peace of God will be with you. you got to take action. you got to take control of your thoughts. I, I have counseled several people in this area of life as a young pastor. And I will tell you, 
the most common thought, there it is, it's a thought, isn't it? The most common thought among people who are filled with depression and anxiety and fret and fear is this idea that they can't control what they think about. They are a, and and in their heart, they believe it, but that doesn't make it right. In their heart, maybe you're listening and and you fall and pray to this deception. In their heart, they believe they are a, a victim of their thoughts, a victim of their thinking. But you're not a victim, not if you're in Christ Jesus. You have the authority in Christ to take dominion over your thought life. It would not, that would not be true. I mean, if it were not true, excuse me, if that were not true, then there wouldn't be commands for us to do those things. There wouldn't be ifs in the Bible because if implies that you can either obey or disobey. Isaiah 26, verse 3, you will keep him in perfect peace. You want perfect peace? Okay. The Lord's going to keep you in perfect peace, but here's the stipulation. Here's the requirement. Here's the action. Whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord. Jehovah, for in the Lord Jehovah is everlasting strength. Isaiah 26, verse 4. Let me read that again. I'm going to read them together. Isaiah 26, verses 3 and 4. You will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever, for in Jehovah the Lord is everlasting strength. You want to access the peace of God? You want to live in the peace of God? You want to have His everlasting strength flowing up and empowering you to live this redeemed, victorious life in Christ? Keep your mind on God. Keep your mind on His Word. Keep your mind on His truths, and He will keep you in peace. That's just how it works. That's how it works. You are not a victim to your thoughts. Let me just go ahead and bust through that thought. You're not a victim to your thoughts. You can master your mind and and your mind will become a sanctuary of God's peace, not a battlefield of turmoil and anxiety and depression. Proverbs 23, verse 7, For as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. Eat and drink and say he to thee, but his heart is not with thee. That first portion of Proverbs chapter 23 has been used by so many self-help gurus and positive thinkers and even Christian scientists. Now, I don't know here to a lot of those people um, by any means, but it's so interesting that many of the success motivation folks pull out spiritual principles from the Bible because God has promised you a life of success. Now, His success may be different, not maybe, His success is the definition of success that we desire, which is nothing missing, nothing broken, being full and happy in every area of life. The world's definition of success is pinpoint something in life, money, fame, (laughs) the opposite sex, and I will show you how to succeed in that area of life. But oftentimes, in fact, I don't know a time when it doesn't, if you do it the world's way, steal from other areas of your life. We're talking about God's definition of success. But a lot of these success gurus, they'll use that first part of Proverbs 23, 7, where as a man thinks, so is he. There's an old book about 100 years old. James Allen wrote it. For as a man thinks, so is he. But it's very true. The thoughts you allow to live in your mind will change who you are. So some practical applications. One, listen to good teaching, to good Bible teaching. Listen to positive instruction. And it doesn't just have to be scriptural. You want to pick up a new hobby. I was just reading before uh, recording the wake-up call today, reading about how to ferment vegetables, you know, sauerkraut, but you can ferment lots of different vegetables because I want to have a backyard garden bigger than ever in this year, 2023. So here it is, January of 2023, and I'm already planning out reading about gardening. And I'm like, well, if I'm gardening, gardening, I want to have, I want to be able to have enough to can. And then I was like, oh yeah, what about fermenting? So now I'm reading about fermenting vegetables. But think about it. I'm tasking my mind 
to do something beneficial and profitable to my life. In fact, Scripture actually says, In the new heavens and new earth, every man will have his own vineyard and his own olive tree. Backyard garden. (laughs) Interesting. But anyways, so again, it doesn't have to be just the Word of God. But you should always task your mind to be thinking on something that's profitable, that will produce and benefit you. Second one, eliminate negative inputs that would cause impure thoughts. Maybe there's a social media account you don't need to follow anymore. Maybe there's some apps you need to delete altogether. Maybe there's some phone numbers you need to block. Maybe there's some videos, pictures you need to delete. Maybe there's some apps on your TV that you just need to log out of and delete off your smart TV. Maybe there's some folks you don't need to hang out with. Because if you, maybe you're not thinking the things, but you're allowing an open door for negative, wicked, sinful thoughts to come in, you're setting yourself up to fail. And why even do that? And lastly, this is one I really like. Strengthen your mind by tasking it to problem solve. Do you know if you will like finish the day thinking about tomorrow, your mind, this is just the way God made your mind, your mind will actually solve problems while you're sleeping. And you'll wake up the next day clearer, fresher. Have you ever done this? You've had maybe like a a mental block and you're like, you know what? I need to take a break. Because if you keep trying to hammer through a project, you actually become less creative in your thinking. So you stop, you take a break. Come back an hour later, and it's like, oh, wow, why didn't I see this before? Or maybe you're working on something, and you're like, I can't fix this. Why won't this work? And then someone walks over, and they're like, well, have you tried this? And you're like, mm, no, but that makes a lot of sense, actually. Thank you. And they had a set of fresh eyes. It's just the way the, the mind works. And you can task your mind to solve problems for the glory of God and for your benefit. Number six, the sixth thing we must master in the year 2023, prayer. We've got to master prayer. And these last two, as we finish up today's wake-up call, uh, they go hand in hand. But we have to master prayer. Again, mastering prayer doesn't mean, I've now prayed the best prayer ever. I'm done praying. That's not what mastering prayer means. It means to be skillful at the art of praying. 1 John 5 verse 14 Now, this is the confidence that we have in Him that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. Notice that. We have a promise. God will hear us if we ask anything according to His will. Verse 15, And if we know that He hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we've asked of Him. So 1 John 5 verse 15 says, basically, we're guaranteed answered prayer. Did you catch that? Verse 15, and if we ask, excuse me, and if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we've asked of him. We're guaranteed an answer to prayer. We just need the Lord to hear our prayers. And verse 14 shows us how to get the Lord to hear our prayers. Pray according to His will. Answered prayer is as simple as this. Pray the will of God. And every time He'll answer it, yes. And He'll bring it to pass in your life. Pray the will of God. The catch is, how do you know what the will of God is? He's given you His will. It's His Word. When you pray the Word of God, you're praying the will of God. And when you pray the will of God, He hears you. And when He hears you, He answers you. Now, some religious folk will say, Well, blessed be the Lord, Brother A.J. Sometimes His answer is yes. Sometimes it is no. And sometimes it is wait. Or you go the opposite way. You know, bro, the Lord's kind of like a stoplight. You know, bro, like sometimes it's green, which means go. And then like, bro, sometimes it's red and it means stop. And then like, bro, like it's like yellow, which means like, you know, hold up, caution. Like anyone ever uses caution at a yellow light. Don't lie to me. We're flooring it. The light turned yellow. That means I got three seconds to get through this intersection before it's an illegal <laughs> and an illegal endeavor. <laughs> you can. I'm, I'm kind of making fun here. 
with the different voice impersonations of, of whatever side, religious mindset. But I don't see that in Scripture. I've yet to find in the Bible where it says God's like a stoplight. But I do see clearly from Scripture, 1 John 5, 14 and 15, if you'll pray His will, He'll hear you. And when He hears you, He'll answer you. It's that simple. Answered prayer is probably one of the most promised things in the Bible. Yet, it's one of the most frustrating things among Christians. Why is prayer a frustration among Christians? It's because many Christians don't know how to pray. Or what they call prayer is actually just them complaining. And they're not actually praying. Jesus teaches us how to pray. Maybe we'll do some more teaching on prayer. In fact, if you go to my link tree... Or go to faithformygeneration.com, better yet. Go to faithformygeneration.com. And I did a series in the year 2022 of January. And I did a 13-part series, I believe it is. 13 parts. And it's entitled, When You Pray. Go check it out. It's on the Gospel Tabernacle YouTube channel as well. 13 hours of teaching on prayer. Bible teaching on prayer. Because answered prayer is a covenant right the child of God. Now, if you're praying wackadoodle prayers that have no, that, that, that don't line up with the will of God, of course you're not going to, he's not going to answer you. It's no different than when my daughter asked me something that is not good for her. And also it's, I didn't say that she could, right? If I tell my daughter, you can have, I don't know, a carrot stick and she goes and gets a cookie No, I didn't say you could have a cookie right now. Maybe later, but not right now. That wasn't my will. That wasn't my promise. That wasn't what I have authorized you to receive. It was the carrot stick. Now, don't beat up on me. I give her cookies. (laughs) But you understand the example. Our Heavenly Father, He has authorized us to pray His will into the earth. Matthew 6, verse 10. "Thy, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's what we are to petition God. Lord, let your will, your kingdom be brought into this earth and let it begin with me. Luke 11, verse 1, Jesus said this, Now it came to pass as he was praying in a certain place when he ceased that one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John also taught his disciples. You look at the life and ministry of Jesus on the earth, the only thing that his disciples ask him to teach them is prayer. They don't say, Lord, teach us how to cast out devils. They don't say, Lord, teach us how to raise the dead. They don't say, Lord, teach us how to heal the sick. They don't say, Lord, teach us how to be good preachers, though they did learn those things from Christ by his example, and they did do all those things. They ask him, Lord, teach us how to pray. Because they made the connection. We see Jesus praying We see his prayer life. The Gospels tell us he wakes up early in the morning. He prays all through the night. He leaves the crowd and goes to the mountain to pray. Prayer was his first priority. So they they finally make the connection. We see the prayer life of Jesus, and then we see his public life. And it clicks. Wait a minute. How he lives is different than everyone else. But also how he prays is different than everyone else. Hmm, maybe, just maybe, the way he prays empowers the way he lives. And they were right. So Jesus teaches them how to pray because they saw the fruit of his prayer life. This is why we have to master prayer, because Jesus mastered prayer. And here's the good thing. Still today, you can go to the teacher. You can still go to the Lord Jesus Christ and say, Lord, teach me to pray. Teach me to pray. John, uh, excuse me, James 5, verse 16. Confess your faults one to another. Pray for one another that you may be healed. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. The effectual, fervent, the bubbling up of a righteous man's prayer does a whole lot of good. It's very powerful. Right here, the James 5 verse 16 shows us there's an effective way to pray. And an effective prayer produces an answer. It, it availeth much. It does what God wills, which means there's also an ineffective way to pray that doesn't avail, that doesn't produce. So let us learn to pray. And again, I, 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 I'm hitting 
every one of these points we're talking about, I could take hours to teach on. So I'm just kind of giving you a taste, a primer. I'm trying to pique your interest. I'm trying to get you and me to say, you know what? I do need to pray better. And I need to pray more. And I need to be better at praying. And I need to learn more about prayer. I'm trying to spark some fires here in these this three-part series. Because every single one of these, I've not done justice. Ten minutes on prayer? I mean, come on. You could teach a lifetime on prayer. But what I want you to do is know this. Prayer needs to be your first priority in your life as well. All right. Practical applications. If you're going to be a person of prayer, you have to schedule prayer. Some people hear that word schedule and they think, well, that's not very holy. That ain't very spiritual. What do you mean schedule? Brother, I just pray all the time. Okay, whatever. But I schedule my time to pray. (laughs) And what I found out is that when I set a specific time in the day to pray, that I pray more. But when I'm just gallivanting around and just, I'll pray when I get some time. I don't ever get time. So for me personally, I get up early in the morning to pray. For the past six years, I have made a point to add an hour to my day, and it's the first hour of my day that I pray. And that took some discipline, and it still to this day takes discipline, and still to this day I have to sometimes reset and, and rearrange my day and pick up time because I didn't fulfill that covenant that I made with the Lord, that vow I made with God. But nonetheless, I have to be very serious and say, this is when I pray. And when I pray, turn the devices off. Get somewhere where I won't be distracted, just me and the Lord. Because when you set a specific time and place, you'll actually pray. I pray with an outline. You can go to gtlarns.com, and there's a place for prayer. And actually, my father created a a prayer guide based on the Lord's Prayer or the Disciples' Prayer, the model prayer, Matthew 6. And you can pray through that. I've used that outline. I've made a couple outlines myself. Write down prayer requests. Write down prayer promises. It's okay. And I never pray without my Bible. When I pray, I pray with an open Bible. I never pray without my Bible. Ever, 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 ever. And then uh, third, have a goal. You know, if you don't pray at all, okay, you bless your food, and when you think about it, you pray, and when you're in church, you pray. But if you don't have a consistent life of prayer, set a goal. Lord, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make a promise to you. I'm going to pray 15 minutes every day. This is when I'm going to pray, and here I'm going to take my Bible and pray through the Word of God or have some points written down to pray about, some people that you want to pray for, and I'm going to pray 15 minutes a day. Do that and just show up for the next three weeks, 15 minutes a day, and I guarantee you that at around day 14, 15, 15 minutes is going to fly by, and you're going to be like, this isn't enough time to pray, and you'll pray more. But if you actually set a target, Yes, with spiritual things, if you actually set a target to aim at, you'll hit it, and then you'll increase. Number seven, long wake-up call today, but I appreciate you listening. This is the last point, seven out of seven, the seventh thing we must master in the year 2023, the Word of God. The Word of God. I wrote this, truly we must master the Word of God. This will take a lifetime And even then, it won't be complete. But in the pursuit of becoming a learned student of the Word of God, it will bring about peace and eternal life. 2 Timothy 2, verse 15. 2 Timothy 2, verse 15 says this, Study to show yourself approved unto God. A worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Now notice, there's three things you can see there. When you study the word of God, it brings approval and acceptance from God. Study to show yourself approved unto God. Be diligent to study the word of God, and you will be approved unto God. When you study the word of God, it keeps you from being ashamed at the coming of the Lord. 
study to show yourself, therefore proved unto God, a workman that needs not be ashamed. You don't have to be ashamed. Know God and know him through his word, and you actually will remove shame. But how, how shameful is it to say you believe and have faith in God, but you don't know him through his word? That is a shameful thing. Don't be ashamed. You can remove that shame in Jesus' name. And the third thing we see, it gives us wisdom that we can rightly divide the word of truth so we can actually learn how to practically apply the word of God. See, you know, we live in a day and an age of deception. If you kept on reading, 2 Timothy chapter 3 tells us that in the last days there will be perilous times. 1 Timothy 4 tells us that in the last days there will be seducing spirits. We live in a time and an age where many people are deceived and even Christians are deceived. And why are they deceived? Because they don't have the Word of God hidden in their heart. What does the book of Psalms tell us? We hide the Word of God in our hearts that we might not sin against Him. See, when we hide God's Word in our hearts, we won't sin against Him. Meaning that we actually have to take action and put the Word of God in our hearts. And how do we do that other than reading it, than studying it, than listening to these wake-up calls in the Faith for My Generation podcast, and listening to your pastor, and listening to good Bible teaching? We must store up the Word of God like it's a treasure, because it is. Psalms 19 says the Word of God is more precious than gold. It's better than money. And, and if, we are, if we save money in a, uh, if we put money in a savings account or an investment account, why not save and invest the Word of God by storing it up, by reading it, studying it, and treasuring it in our hearts and our minds? Now, I'm going to finish here. Hebrews 5, verse 12. Well, I say I'm going to finish here. Maybe. I think I'll finish here. Hebrews 5, verse 12. For though by this time you ought to be teachers... You need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God or the scriptures, the sayings. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age, that is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. So right here, the author of Hebrews, I believe to be Paul, Paul's saying in Hebrews chapter 5, by the Spirit of the Lord, of course, that there are two types of Christians, baby Christians and grown-up Christians. There are two types of Christians, Christians who are skilled in the word of righteousness and those who are unskilled in the word of righteousness. There are some that are immature, and there are some that are mature. There are some that cannot discern good and evil, and then there are those who can discern good and evil. And all of that hinges upon your knowledge of the Word of God. If you don't have the Word of God stored up in your heart, if you're not studying God's Word, you're unskilled, you're a baby, you're not able to discern between good and evil. You're drinking milk. But if you study God's Word and you allow His Word to renew your mind and you fill your heart with His truths, you mature. You grow up. You're no longer a child spiritually. You're eating the solid food, the meat of the Word of God, so that you can discern between good and evil. And that's one of the most powerful attributes, I think, about the Word of God is it instructs you in the ways of righteousness. It keeps you, it makes you deception-proof, and it empowers you to do what God's commanded you to do. Joshua 1.8, perfect place to end. It's our main text, but I'll read it one last time. This book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth, but you shall meditate, think about it day and night, so that you may observe to do it according to all that is written therein. For then you shall make your way prosperous, and then you shall have good success. When you master the Word of God, it brings every area of your life into obedience to God, and then God can bless it and bring you to a place of success in your life, in your marriage, in your family, in your heart, in your mind, in your church, in your ministry, in, at being where you work, what you're called to do. 
you'll have good success when you bring it under the submission of God's Word. So here's your three takeaways for this one. Same thing with prayer. With the Word of God, set a specific amount of time you're going to read your Bible every day. Every day. You eat every day, don't you? You drink water every day. Feed your spirit with the Word of God every day. And say, you know what, Lord? I'm going to set aside. Start at 15 minutes. 15 minutes a day, I'm going to read read the Bible. If you did that, you'd read your Bible through in a year. Three chapters a day, you can do that in 15 minutes and not even read fast. But set aside a specific amount of time. This is my Bible time. Plan it. Put it on the calendar for the day. Oh, no, I can't do that. I can't be there. That's my Bible time. Oh, no, I can't talk. Sorry, it's my Bible time. Some people might think, well, that's a little over top. No, it's not. We make plans and schedule everything else in life. Why not the Word of God? Make it a daily habit. Hit and miss isn't great. Hit and miss is better than nothing, but what's better than reading today and not tomorrow, but maybe next day and then two days without reading the Bible and then pick it up again? You know what's better than that? Just reading every day. And then third, log down your reading. Like actually mark off what you read. There's apps for these. You can print off paper versions if you like pen and paper like me, but I use both. Mark down what you've actually done. And over time, you will be like, wow, I can't believe this. I read the whole New Testament. And then I read the whole Bible. I mean, oh, I've read the whole Bible three times. This is so cool. You will actually encourage yourself in what you should be doing. Well, hey, I'm so thankful for you. I pray that this three-part wake-up call series blessed you. And let everything that we studied from God's Word, again, this isn't just like a a rah-rah motivational type thing. This is instruction from God's Word that hits on seven major areas of our life. If we will be obedient to obey God's Word, I'm telling you, just as God has said, He will make our ways prosperous. He will make our ways successful. And that's His definition of success, which is fullness of life and peace in every area of life. And I believe that you and I are up to the task because we are the faithful. I'm so thankful for you. Hey, let's have a great 2023. And I'll see you next time. God bless. Thanks so much for joining me for this episode of the Faith for My Generation podcast. Remember, every Monday I've got a brand new wake-up call for you. And every Thursday, I've got a brand new episode right here on Faith for My Generation podcast. And remember, we are the faithful.